third and seven for Breeze and company. Out of the gun. Breeze pulled the trigger. Looking for it all. End zone. It's hauled in. Touchdown. Terrific grab by Thomas. It is back-to-back weeks of the Sportscasters, and I am Steve Bennett. This is Season 9, Episode 16 of the program. We have two great guests today, two long Sportscasters OGs. Uh, First, we will talk to Richard Deitch from The Athletic. Uh, Richard was on Episode number 3 or 4 of this podcast way back in 2011. We have a long, storied history together we went viral together in 2013. He named this program one of the best sports podcasts in the world in 2014 and 2018. Uh, he had me on his podcast in 2018. Uh, so a long history between Richard and I. It's always a great spot when he's in. We're going to get to him after the intro. Also on the podcast today, another one of my favorites, Kenny Albert from Fox Sports is going to talk about his 25th season uh, 26th season of football at Fox. Kenny's been there since day one in 1994. September 4th, I believe, was the first day of games on Fox. I think he even mentions it in the interview. Uh, Kenny's going to join us to talk about the mechanics of an NFL football broadcast. It was actually a really fascinating interview. I thought we got to some really, really interesting stuff about how they use the sideline reporter, how they prepare, how technology has improved their preparation. A really great spot with Kenny. Also on the show, we're going to do a book club and a one last thing, and we'll get to those. A book club will be in between the interviews, one last thing uh, at the end. Uh, Also, uh, I wanted to mention uh, this week I did something really fun. Now, it's been a long year for me, uh, which we've documented on one last thing. I've had two surgeries this year. Uh, That's not easy. I had a colostomy bag this year for three months, which is not easy. Uh, And when the idea of my birthday and what I wanted for my birthday came up, I told Tammy, all I want this year is I want to go to a Saints game. I want to see Drew Brees play in the Superdome at least one more time. Uh, And I, I want to make this happen. So she was cool with it. And this week, I booked my trip. I'm going down on Friday, October 5th, or Saturday, excuse me, October 5th. I get in at around 2 o'clock or something like that. Uh, Then I'm going to the Saints versus Tampa Bay game on Sunday, which I'm really excited about. And uh, then I come home Monday. So just really excited about being able to go to New Orleans again for a game. Just going by myself. I'm just going to take the time clear my head, uh, eat great food down there. I'm going to eat the best, uh, spare no expense. Um, I just want to go and eat and see the Saints and, you know, love life. So I'm really looking forward to that. I wanted to mention it to you guys that I am going down there for the game, and I'm really excited. Uh, Also this week in the world of Steve and podcasts is the Adams Division podcast which I co-host with my friend Peter Winson from the Greetings from Allentown. 
uh, podcast is having an episode go up on Friday, which is the day after this one will go up, which is Thursday. Uh, that podcast is part two of a top 10 favorite sports teams uh, that we started in June. I believe we did part one. Part two uh, will be available tomorrow at Place to Be Nation on their main feed, the wrestling feed, uh, Place to Be Nation.com. Good friends, Justin and Scott there. And I, usually Peter puts it on the Greetings from Allentown feed as well. So an exciting week. A lot going on. Football is back, right? It's Thursday. It's Bears and Packers tonight. Well, one last thing today will be football predictions. I'll predict, you know, divisions and playoffs and Super Bowl and MVP, things like that. So we'll do that in one last thing. Uh, but I'm fired up. I'm in a great mood. I'm feeling good. Richard Deitch, Kenny Albert, great show today. Please spread the word if you can. I don't ask for much. If you can, give it a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That's great. If you can tell a friend, that's great. Um, listen, I appreciate it. anyone who's hearing the sound of my voice and has come on this journey with me. So, all right, with all that said, let's take a break and let's come back with our good friend, Richard Deitch. <laughs> Our first guest today is the sportscaster's OG. He works at The Athletic. He's a UB grad and he lives in Toronto, Ontario, Canada now. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Richard Deitch. Richard Deitch, how are you doing, my friend? I'm good. I will say this. Okay. My God, uh, <laughs> you you do not quit when it comes to trying to book guests. No, so well, the, that's the only way I get the them. Hand, on the one hand, it's annoying as hell. On the other hand... <laughs> As I've told you before, I respect it. You're very dogged in this, so uh, I have. Uh, I'm back. Uh, I'm back on the show for. Uh, I don't even want to guess. What is it like? Eleven times? Oh, 10? it's more than that. We've been doing this since 2011. I know. Is uh, I don't think I'm up to 20 yet. Am I? No, but you're getting there quick. I got to recount them all. Um, but you're getting there, and you know. Uh, Lee's frozen in time because he's off to the end. You know, he's not coming on anytime soon. Yeah, if, he won't, ever I, again. I, I, well, I, the only, I think the only way to get Lee is if he left the Clippers. Right, exactly. So he's he's frozen in time. He's he's a and I I always said the dirty secret at the end there was I think he was kind of sick of it anyway. Like I don't know how many more times he would have been on regardless. So, um, uh, but yeah, he was always great to me. But yeah, we've been doing this since two thousand. You were on show number three. I know, and I'm Amazing. close to three hundred. Good uh, for your uh, good for your commitment and dedication to this. That's good. Yeah, the last time we talked was on your podcast, which was really fun. Thank you for that yeah, again. Yeah, much. that was that was great. Thank you for the idea. That was really good. Did people like it? Did you get feedback? Yeah, yeah. people. It's really interesting. Yeah, the the interesting thing about podcasts, as you know, is that um, people who listen to podcasts tend to be very interested in podcasts. So when you get a niche subject like I did, you know, having podcasters at sort of different levels of popularity, downloads, finances, etc. You get a pretty good audience for that. Now, all my content of course is falls under niche content, it's sports media, it's right. not not the NBA, it's not NFL, you know this. But yeah, uh, the response and feedback to that was really really good because I think some people who do podcasts um, learn some stuff, which is always cool. 
Did you read my quaz? Uh, did you do, you did the quaz with Jeff Perlman? Yeah, I did. That was really cool. Was not, when did that happen? Recently? I have to send that to you. I was um, it was in between my surgeries, so it was in May or something, May or June. Yeah, yeah. May or June. I like uh, what Perlman does. Uh, he does interesting things to me. Yeah, it was really fun. He also called me on being persistent in it, which was funny that you yeah, just did that and he did that too. Yeah, historically, he's a very persistent reporter, so he, he can certainly appreciate he that. He can relate. Um, what do I want to ask you? You're up in Toronto now. Oh, I know what I want to ask you right away because I wanted to clarify this. It's interesting right. because on Twitter, you know, I follow you on Twitter. You don't follow me, but I follow you on Twitter. Right. And um, you're often making some sarcastic remarks about the ESPN the policy, the way things have changed there in terms of how they view politics and what they allow on the air, what they don't allow. Obviously, Dan Levitard. You know, I, I think it's less sarcastic and hopefully more sort of pointing out what I think is a bit uh, hypocritical, but go on. Right. Well, I, I, want, I want to clarify because I, I don't totally understand. Like, obviously, I was saying that Dan Levitard kind of like tested that a little bit. Um, right. And I think he kind of proved that. I don't know. I mean, nothing. Ha- I mean, he took a day off. He said he wanted to take a day off anyway. I don't know what happened there. Not much, I guess. I mean, uh, probably it's one of those things where the bigger you star, the bigger of a star you are, maybe the less the rule is. You know, lower on sure. the totem pole. Um, but I was thinking about this the other day because, but I just wonder, like, so let's say there's a mass mass shooting. That's which is unfortunately something that happens often. Is it your opinion that? When Sports Center takes the air at six o'clock, that the anchor should just be like, "Welcome to Sports Center, man. We really need gun reform." No, of course not. Okay, um, so clarify me, for me a little bit because I don't yeah, I'm happy totally to understand. Yeah, yeah. So first and foremost, let me say that I'm not in management, so I'm pretty self-aware. So I, what I'm about to say, I understand full well that I'm not in charge of eight thousand employees. I'm not in charge of five thousand employees. It's very easy for me from my perspective, to have sort of the opinion I have because there's no fallout for me from my opinion. So uh, let me be first and sort of very clear that I'm very self-aware of where I'm coming from. But to answer your question, no, of course not. I don't think SportsCenter should lead with news or SportsCenter should lead with gun reform. The only time I think SportsCenter should be covering uh, race or politics or economics or whenever is when those stories – have a real nexus with sports. Colin Kaepernick should absolutely be covered by SportsCenter. If um, John Carlos and if SportsCenter was around in 1968 and John Carlos and Tommy Smith um, put their fists in the air with black gloves as uh, uh, a symbol of black power and as a symbol of how they believed African Americans were being treated in the U.S., you have to cover that. It'd be Olympic Games. Right. Do I think Sage Deal or. Uh, um, Kevin Connors or you know Scott Van Pelt should be giving you their take on Brexit. No, I mean, I, I mean, if there are people who think that, I would agree that that's insane. Where I do think, and this is where I disagree with ESPN. Okay. Where I think, where I think, where I have a fundamental disagreement with ESPN is, I believe that your social media feeds, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, they represent you. They don't represent your company. I understand you work for the company, and there's an argument to be made. If you take their paycheck, if you sign the, you know, if you sign with them, you got to follow their rules. Totally understand that. But it's frustrating to me when you hire people to give opinions, when you're hiring people as personalities, that you then are limiting them 
through sort of your own judgment as to whatever quote unquote pure politics are on their Twitter feed. So no, I do not like the fact that if, uh, if a horrible mass shooting happens, an ESPN management person may determine that if a ESPN person tweets out something that represents politics and that person could theoretically be suspended or theoretically uh, get fired or theoretically anything. You are absolutely correct, though, when it comes to sort of star power at all these places, probably including mine, The Athletic. Dan Levitard is going to be able to say things that some associate producer can't. Uh, Peter King is going to be able to say things when we both work together at Sports Illustrated that me, Richard Deitch, could not. So there's always levels of sort of, uh, of stardom that, that, that people get a little bit of a longer leash there. Um, but that's sort of where I stand. Um, and I've always believed, and I understand people will disagree with me, that the whole sort of like uh, canard that ESPN as an organization was becoming too political on air is nonsense. You didn't watch SportsCenter every day and see like talk on Brexit, uh, you know, talk on uh, gun control, talk on uh, economics. You saw, and I agree with this, a lot of ESPN commentators, front facing people, really talking about it on their Twitter feeds. And I agree with anybody who says that for sure. Um, but it's not like ESP, ESPN was somehow doing politics. I mean, between giving Caitlyn Jenner and SB uh, and some, you know, and some like sort of town hallish kind of stuff, that's just, that's BS. That just wasn't the case. So I hope that sort of explains it. So no, I don't think their programming should be covering you know, what Fox News and MSNBC does. But yes, I do think their commentators, uh, not just their commentators, I think every one of their employees should be given a little bit more latitude than they are. The interesting thing, Steve, about all this is Fox Sports has gives their people far more latitude. Right. ESPN, Fox, Fox Sports, uh, FS1 people essentially can say anything. Very rarely have I ever heard of, of any management person at Fox um, complaining about this. So it's very, very interesting that, uh, that, um, that ESPN feels this way. And you might think that Fox would feel the same way, but they, but they don't, but hopefully that clarifies it at least a little bit. Yeah, no, thank you for that. That does. And I mostly agree with you actually. Um, I thought I wouldn't agree with you as much as I did. Uh, and you know, it's interesting too, because they do allow their people to tweet their opinions about sports. Um, and and that might sound like well of course but you know sometimes are you turn maybe this is a question for you are you sometimes turned off by the sportscaster who says hey man I'm a big Steelers guy I love the Steelers rah 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 Steelers or do you prefer the guy who's like Great look point. at I'm just here covering stuff you know? I don't listen I don't mind it but I understand I mean there are people who like you know will lose their mind at uh even sort of more hardcore ethicists, I would say, who like get upset if like, uh, and maybe Bill Simmons isn't the sort of the good example because he sort of made his bones on this. But yeah, there are a lot of people who are writing features for some of these places who make it very clear that they're fans of a team. Right. Uh, you know, when I was sort of growing up in you know journalism type schools, <laughs> that would be verboten. You know, if if uh, if a New York Times writer covering politics came out and said, you know, I love Elizabeth Warren and I'm voting for, I mean, you know, the, the Twitter would have a meltdown. So I think you make a really good point. I, I the only thing I would say there is, you know, you want to be honest with the audience, like sort of first and foremost. And if you are a fan of a team to sort of hide that is, 
probably going to be tough. At the same time, though, if you're somebody covering a beat, if you're somebody who sort of writes features, you do have to be careful because uh, you don't want that to come back and bite you where, um, you know, you get accused of not being, you know, critical enough on something or writing fawning pieces. You know, as a general rule, it's probably better if you're in any kind of uh, news gathering position for people not to know your allegiances. But, you know, sometimes you just say it and live with it. Like, you know, I'm uh, uh, I like watching Roger Federer play. I think he's awesome for tennis. Um, do I think I could fairly write about him if he committed some crime? I do. But, you know, it's very clear on Twitter. I've I've said some great things about him. So if somebody wants to then come back and be like, well, you write you only wrote this because you're a Federer lover. You know what I mean? You could yeah. you, you get yourself in a little tricky situation. But, yeah, I would um, if I was at ESPN or if I was at The Athletic and elsewhere, I would always like sort of caution my employees. Just don't go over the top sort of as a fan unless your sort of job is to write as a fan. And that's where I feel like people like um, like Simmons, like you mentioned. Yeah, Bill Simmons yeah. sort of. Uh, you know, they, he's sort of made his, he was the bones, Boston sports guy, right? Yeah. yeah. Both his bones on being that. And if yeah. that's the case, then, you know, you sort of, you are what you are and nobody's sort of thinking otherwise. And that's certainly the culture like at Barstool too. Like, you know, Correct. you very much then, know their people and who they love and who they root for. And yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I don't, first of all, I don't consider them, uh, I don't consider that journalism nor by the way, I think would they ever say they are They're They're True. sort of a fair. Yeah, you know, they're, they're they're a comedy satirical uh, site. Obviously, at times goes way over the line, uh, uh, but they would never claim to uh, sort of be a journalistic enterprise. What's interesting, obviously, in 2019 is you know news can break from anywhere. So you know, Barstool's podcasts are obviously immensely popular, and so it it you know if they had a guest on, like uh, part of my take, I, I'm just going to make this up. Like, let's say they got Ezekiel Elliott tomorrow, which isn't inconceivable. Those guys can get right. Yeah, they pretty much get anybody at this point. Like Ezekiel Elliott could like announce something on that podcast. Like I either like I'm not playing for the year. Or I just signed with the Cowboys. So they could actually break news, but they're not in a traditional news breaking place. And as you said, I think people accept their fandom for what they are. But yeah, I get it. I mean, like this is where social media sort of gets a little um, tricky for all of us in that, you know, you're, you're getting a glimpse behind the curtain where the only sort of curtain you used to have was like a byline or uh, a person, you know, sort of giving the highlights on ESPN. Let me ask you a quick question about Barstool since we got here. Sure. Did you see the real sports piece that was done on, I guess, Dave Portnoy slash Barstool? Yep. Let me ask you this. Did you think they did – were they fair – to Barstool and to Dave? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay. I, 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 didn't, I didn't see. I mean, I, I I guess the Barstool's contention was that they they should have had more people from the Barstool side um, discussing what it's like to work there. I mean, I think that's fair. Especially I, I women, think I think, was their point. It's, uh, that's fair. I, I, I mean, the thing about the real sports piece is I, I think at this point – how you feel about Barstool Sports is how you feel. I don't think anyone's mind was changed on either side with that real sports uh, piece. But again, Steve, the one thing I would say on this is, uh, one, first of all, one, I'm not sure how much impact real sports has, to be honest with you, in terms of shaping or changing. But 
we're now at the point with all these kind of companies, including Barstool or ESPN or, or The Athletic or wherever else, you could sort of counter the message. So like if they didn't use somebody in these interviews, that person can just go on and say, here's what they asked me and here's what I said. You know what I mean? Like right. we're, we're in an age where like you have the facility, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is everybody in their own way is a broadcaster or a distributor. And so you can get your content out very, very easily. Um, just because they put it on the cutting room floor doesn't mean it needs to stay there. You can. Well, it means that like whatever real sports didn't use in that piece, Barstool probably had and vice versa. If Barstool puts out something and real sports had the footage, they could put it out. So I guess what I'm trying to say is like that nothing is really, you know, no, nothing is really going to ultimately in the end of the day be hidden. It's really more of a question of how do you feel about how this place shaped a story or presented a story or offered this narrative the one thing about the real sports thing is i just don't think it i don't think it changed anybody's mind on either side if you if you believe barstool is misogynistic uh or sexist or juvenile the, the real sports thing only i think like amplified that if you feel that they've gotten a bad rap if you feel that um, they're not responsible for some of their fans and and the, the people who work there um, generally speaking say it's a good place to work well then you're still going to be a supporter of it so I just I don't think I don't think real sports I, I mean obviously I can't speak for everyone who saw it I, I just I don't think they changed any minds either way that that's how I sort of uh, that's how I read that well my brothers are huge barstool guys you know like they're the perfect how age. Uh, well, one is six years younger than me, so he's 32, and the other yeah. one's 11, and he's 28, 27, 28. So they're in the they're sort exactly of- they're in the wheelhouse, right? And um, they were really against the piece. They thought it was so unfair. They were like, you know, and I was kind of defending it. The one thing we did agree on though is that Gumbel just comes off as just nuts. Like he asked this woman who did the piece. I can't remember her name. I apologize oh, to her. Shadow oh, Brian, yeah. Yeah, he asked her if it was the most. What? Did, how do you word it? Yeah, it's the, the worst piece you've ever. Worked yeah, and on. she had like I been at war in wars and things like that. It's like, oh my. Sold out of Ryan, I think, is actually a good journalist. So I yeah, a lot she, of I thought she did great. I, I I thought it was a fair. But piece. yes, I mean, again, like the the. Keep in mind, one, it's television, right? So you're, yeah. you're sort of trying to come up with a dramatic thing, and, and they two, got like 15 minutes. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. I think by the letter of the law, obviously, I would think Brian Gumble knows that like probably Soledad O'Brien has worked on uh, stories about, uh, you know, uh, conflict and, you know, and mass- wars, literal stuff, wars stuff like that. So, yeah. yeah. But again, I, I, I the if you are on the sort of the, if you if you are a, sort of a barstool person, you're going to you're going to parse every single word on that. And see bias. If you're on the opposite and dislike Barstool and and loathe what they do, you're gonna celebrate what Brian Gumble did. Again, I feel like sides have been drawn and nothing changed. The only thing I could say is, if sort of as a larger uh, as a larger sort of thought on all of this, is it is amazing to me how fast the news cycle moves on on anything. <laughs> right. And some of that is about uh, that you see that in politics. See that with stories about Trump. We're just in such a high speed age that nothing sticks. And the the thing about that real sports story was like literally like two days later, it felt like it, it you know what I mean? It disappeared. 
And that's sort of the that, – that's almost the case for almost any sports story now. Very – you know, I mean we're talking today on uh, August 30th. How far ago does the Antonio Brown helmet saga feel? It's not that long ago, but yet it feels like a lifetime ago. One last thing on uh, Barstool, we'll move on, and you can comment or whatever on this. The great thing they do, I, I'm, I'm in awe of it every time, is I feel like they took that, they agreed to that story, knowing that probably the piece was going to be what it was, and they thrive on that, and they they get ahead of it great. They had my brothers and people who love Barstool believing before it even aired that it was unfair. And they rally the troops that way. You know what I mean? And they're incredible at like building loyalty, brand loyalty. And um, they're, biz- they're, they're great at that. Well, the, one of the things that obviously they've been incredibly successful at is they monetize their own controversy. Correct? Right? Oh, they my God. A, yeah, I think that's what I – you said story, it better. Yeah. a storyline within their world. So, um, so, yeah, the downside obviously is if you invite a reporter like that in, there's gonna you're going to see some of the – some of the worst of that site. And there's been a lot of shit on that site, but the, if the, if the upside's the right word, um, you, you're going to be able to position it. If you're a Barstool fan as sort of, once again, this is us versus the world. Yep. This is a place coming in to tear things down. So I agree with you They they, the, the, the one thing that they're good at, uh, I mean, not just good. They're, they're, they're really good at it. I think the ringer is good at this and some other places is they monetize, they, they monetize the obsession. Maybe that's too strong a word, but they, they monetize how invested their fans are in them. Does that make sense? You know what yeah, I mean? Absolutely. And they're, yep. they're just sort of able to sell that, which is a sort of a, a, a story on top of the sort of the real, the, you know, the, the actual story. Uh, and that's, um, there are not many sort of brands in the space that can do that. I mean, as as many people who really like the athletic or as many people who like the Washington post, like nobody's, nobody, nobody's like watching a live, uh, periscope of like us in the newsroom or, you know what I mean? Or me like walking around writing a media story, but like those other places, Barstool and the ring in particular have that. Um, and you are correct. That is like that, that are, that, that is like a, uh, a gigantic group of people who sort of are so invested in the brand to the point where, yeah, it's, it's, it's like one gigantic, it's, it's much more of a club than a business relationship. So, um, their, their ability to monetize controversy, whether you think that's awful or not is, is extraordinary because they do it all the time. It's like the Pearl Jam song, one, two, three, four, five against one, five, five, five against one. Much, you know what? It's very, I mean, you, you're, you, you watch wrestling or followed it. Yeah. It's very similar to how the WWE and, and other brands sort of can monetize their controversies too. All right, let's move a little quicker. I want to get a couple things in real quick. Where do you stand on, I guess this is sort of a barstool thing too, because this came up with the ringer sort of organizing and looking to create a union. And, you know, then I guess there was an alternate side of that at Barstool saying, like, that's insane. I can't believe they would do that. What do you think about 
uh, a site like Ringer, the, them organizing and creating a union, and, and it's just like, where do you stand on all that? They should all, Maybe I explain mean, it I, a little I, bit better too. Like, what happened? Well, I, there? Just, I, I was a member of the Newspaper Guild when I was at Sports Illustrated for most of my career there. Um, so I believe in unions. Yeah, uh, I think all of those places, Ringer, Barstool, anybody who works for a content company, uh, should be unionized. It gives them a much better chance to get better wages, to get um, uh, better medical, fair vacations, and all that stuff. Um, in the in the communications content business, unions have really um, dramatically dropped um, since the you know the sort of the heydays of whatever the '40s and the '50s. So yeah, I think. I believe unions give you your best protection if you're in a position as a content creator at any of these places. Um, so, yeah, you're talking to somebody who paid union dues for you know 15, 17 years at Sports at Sports Illustrated. Although I've, even at Sports Illustrated, as the years went on, the people, the the num the levels of people in the union dwindled, mostly because the management at the time, Time Inc was able to sort of manipulate it where if you were hired after a certain date, you weren't sort of automatically in the union. So yeah, I, I, I support it. And as a general rule, in my experience, this is just my opinion. I found that it gives workers far more protection than not. The football's here, right? Um, do you still believe a hundred percent that Romo ends up staying with CBS? That's still your opinion. Yeah, I do. Um, I would be stunned Oh, stunned. Yeah, I would be stunned. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be strong on that. Yeah, I would be stunned if he moves uh, for a number of reasons. One, uh, it's very clear CBS understands what a talent he is, and you're not gonna, you'd be crazy to let your, uh, your the the your top talent on the show that is on your network that's watched the most far and away, far more than any entertainment show. So I think they understand like sort of his importance. Two, you know, at the end of the day, it's only money. And these are organizations with billions of dollars. You can sort of figure out, I always feel like, how to make that work. Three, um, I think Roma has a great comfort with CBS. He's very comfortable with his producer, uh, who is the one who sort of trained him. He's obviously incredibly comfortable and friends with Jim Nance. He's very close to him. He's incredibly comfortable with CBS management. It doesn't strike me that, again, I don't know for sure, but it doesn't strike me that Romo would want to go to like a new place like a Fox or an NBC just for like an extra couple million dollars. He'd have to start new, new, new production team, right. new partner. I don't think he wants that. Um, in terms of the job itself, I think the only better job is the Collinsworth job. And even I think that's debatable. Uh, and maybe Tony wants would say, well, the Aikman job is better because I get to do Dallas games and I get to occasionally stay home in my city. That's a fair argument. But I think the AFC is a really good conference. You're at the best games. You're always going to be in the Super Bowl rotation. Um, you know, you're working for a broadcast company, CBS, that treats its people really well. I think that's respected. So I would be stunned. Uh, that said, you know, anything's possible, I guess, but it, it – you know, we're, we're at a certain point, like if we're talking between like six million and 10 million at CBS, you know, which which makes hundreds of millions of dollars. It, it just it would seem silly for them not to make it work. Give me one or two real quick football media stories that you're excited to track as the season starts. Is it the ESPN Monday Night Football booth? Is that high up yeah, there? I'm definitely really interested in um, how McFarland and 
Tessator do. I really like McFarlane, actually. I think he's good. And I'm interested to see how he does with uh, without Witten in the booth. As a solo, one, back in the booth and not in that contraption. And two, um, give him a real chance to be in the booth with his partner, be able to sort of see it. The game, those, the, 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 the broadcasts are done through the analyst's eyes. That's the game when it comes to football. And so he's going to get a real chance, I think, to sort of let people know um, what kind of analyst he is. So that will be really, really interesting. And I would predict they're going to get better reviews just because um, Witten's gone. And right. I think the broadcast is going to be better just because it's going to be a two-person broadcast and no Witten. And then the other one, um, and this is sort of a traditional uh, – there's two others. One, I, you know, I'm curious to see how uh, – where we continue to go with gambling in terms of information on broadcasts. Um, I don't expect it to be – um, hitting the network broadcast yet, but I, I'm curious to see if the pregame shows start to sort of incorporate more gambling, more lines, et cetera, there. And then finally, viewership's always important. Um, it's going to be a very divisive politically uh, political season with the presidential election coming up. Mm. Uh, we're always very close to somebody saying something about the NFL, mm. and I'll just be curious to see um, what viewership is and if anything sort of outside of the NFL ends up um, impacting the NFL. I would expect viewership to be um, up because of the Nielsen ratings are going to start to include out-of-home viewership, which uh, means – Like buyers gonna, and stuff? Yeah, they're going to yeah. try to get it – they're going to – again, these, none, none of this is really accurate – but they're going to use an estimate for bars and airports and hotels, and inevitably things are going to be up because I think sports has always been undercounted because those things have not been counted in the past. So NFL viewership is going to be up. It'll just be a question of how much you sort of value those out-of-home viewership numbers, but uh, but that's always worth tracking to. Uh, six months from now when we do this, huge bust or huge success or somewhere in the middle do you think will be – your answer to the question, how did the Fox college football pregame show do? It won't be a bust. I just don't think it's going to be any kind of big success. Um, you know, I mean, it's just, I, I feel like it's just going to be your, you know, sort of maybe generics a little too strong. But, you know, I think it's just going to be another show. I don't think it's going to be destination viewing by any means. Um I, you know, I think they're going, if I had to predict, I think they're going to try to sort of build everything around Urban Meyer. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't particularly think Urban Meyer is a very not that likable. Yeah, he's not a very compelling personality to me. Yeah, it's uh, just not that likable. But, but, but I think, I understand why Fox is doing it. And I think it's a smart structural move because if your noon game is going to be your biggest game on your network, yeah, you, got, yeah. you got a pregame show leading into it. I just think that like, like inside the NBA, I think they're just going up against one of the great sports studio shows of the last 30 years. I don't know how you I don't know how you can swipe audience from them because I think even if you're let's say like a Michigan fan or Ohio State fan or you know whatever game Fox has, I still think a ton of people are going to watch college game day and then just flip it over to Fox at 12. Right, they want to see what had Corso puts on, right? I mean, that's like a cultural thing. All right. ESPN uh, ESPN um Lee Finning, who uh, is sort of in charge of their college football coverage and used to be the um, used to be the executive producer of College Game Day, said um, it's one of the great five minutes in sports television is the Corso thing, and he's totally yeah. right. All right, very last thing. 
we have an incredibly interesting fall coming up in wrestling television, right? With yep. AEW prepare, uh, premiering on, uh, what is it, TNT? And, and uh, the WWF making the jump with SmackDown and going on Fox. Um, real quickly, because uh, I know we're pretty much out of time, just give me a real quick, uh, again, like a crystal ball thing. When we talk, when, I, when I'm bothering you with emails again in six months for you to come back, uh, what do you think we'll be talking about in terms of those two moves? What, what do you think the headlines will be with the WWF on Fox and with um, AEW on TNT? I think uh, AEW is going to do better than expected. I think people are going to actually give that a real check out. Um, and they have some really good talent, you know, with uh, John Moxley. and Yeah, I um, like their strategy, too. Yeah, Kenny Omega. Sports-based. Uh, yeah, so I think, like, um, I, I actually think it may bring more fans to wrestling, sort of more, bring more fans in the fold in terms of, um, you know, in terms of, like, who's going to get more viewership. <laughs> I would guess the WWE would, but I don't think it's going to be a slam dunk by any means. I think it's going to be, I think it's very good. I think it's going to raise the levels of storyline on both entities. And I think that AEW is going to do good. I think turn my, if I had one prediction, I think Turner is going to be happy with their viewership. That's my prediction. Richard Deitch is always so kind to come on this program. Uh, He's been doing it since episode three. We're close to 300 now. Uh, he's been a good friend and mentor to me all these years, and I really appreciate him, even though he doesn't follow me on Twitter. I still love him. He's at Richard Deitch there. Of course, his columns on The Athletic, uh, fantastic stuff. I look forward to him every Monday uh, when he always puts one up. And whenever a new season starts, he just did a um, a big football media type thing that I read. Just college, with, yeah, yeah, college really, football one. Read it close, Steve. Yeah, <laughs> college, football, uh, college football preview. Yeah, well, I read it all, 10,000 words of it, believe me. Um Thank you so much for this. I'm going to send you that quiz. I want you to check it out and yeah. uh, and let me know what you think. Um, all right, awesome. All right, thanks for everything, buddy. Thanks, Steve. I'm a little too tall. Could have used a few pounds. Tight pants, points, hollering out. She was a black-haired beauty with big dark eyes and points all her own, sudden way up high. All right, I want to thank Richard Deitch for being on the podcast today. It's always great to have Richard. Uh, quick book club update. I mentioned last week that our new friend, Megan Wilson, had sent me a copy of Billion Dollar Fantasy. The high-stakes game between FanDuel and DraftKings that upended sports in America by Albert Chen. I talked to Megan this week, and Albert will join us uh, the last week of September. So we are on full-blown book club mode uh, with Albert's new book. I don't think Albert's ever been on the show before. Maybe one time when he was at SI. I'm not even sure, though. I think he might be a first-timer. Since I talked to Megan, I know she's coming on. I'm going to read this book this week. I'm excited to check it out. When I'm done with it, if anyone wants a copy, you can always email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com. I did put a few books in the mail this week. Please, though, if I promise you a book and you don't get it, just remind me. I beg you, don't think I'm a jerk who promised you something and didn't send it. Just please remind me about it instead because I will get it to you. I am not the best at getting this stuff from my house to the mailbox. Uh, 
it's tough with the amount the local post office closing and when Tammy gets home from work and I'm not going to make excuses, but if I owe you something, please email me the sportscasters at gmail.com and I will get it to you. And I did get a couple out this week. Anyway, billion dollar fantasy, the high stakes game between FanDuel and DraftKings that upended sports in America by Albert Chen. Also, I wanted to mention no excuses. The making of a head coach, Bob Stoops and Gene Wojciechowski wrote this book. Uh, Gene has had a book on the book club before, and it's one of the best ever. Uh, The Last Great Game, which is about the Duke and Kentucky basketball game that ended with Christian Leitner's amazing uh, basket on the pass from Grant Hill. Uh, But no excuses. I'm still waiting. I'm supposed to be getting two of these. I'm still waiting for them to arrive. Uh, It's set to be released on September 10th. So you can probably start looking to see if that book shows up in bookstores. And the Billion Dollar Fantasy, by the way, is set to release on the 10th as well. Uh, Albert's book. So that's where we are with the book club. Albert Chan, Billion Dollar Fantasy, and the Bob Stoops books, No Excuses, which I can't wait uh, to check out uh, when that comes out. All right. With that said, let's take a break. And when we come back, one of our favorites from Fox... NFL on Fox, and he calls hockey games. He called the Western Conference Final uh, for NBC Sports last year. And he's a great dude. Uh, Kenny Albert. We'll be right back with him. All right, our next guest today is another one of the all-time great Hall of Fame sportscasters guests. He's a graduate of NYU, and he's on your TV calling sports all the time, whether it be the NHL's Western Conference Finals on the NBC Sports Network, but for the last 25-plus years, the NFL on Fox, a warm sportscaster's welcome to Kenny Albert. How are you doing, Kenny? Thanks a lot for uh, for doing this again. I'm great, Steve. How are you? Really good. Feeling good. Looking forward. I woke up today and realized there's football tonight. Well, it's amazing. Uh, it is back. Green Bay and Chicago tonight, and... Most of the other teams getting started on Sunday and then the two Monday night games. But always such an exciting time of the year with the NFL getting underway, hockey training camps, basketball training camps right around the corner, baseball playoffs. So uh, if you're a sports fan, it's a good time of year for sure. I know I'm a little bit of a nerd with this stuff. So maybe, you know, like I'm one of six in the country that this interests. But when I put the NFL network on during preseason and watch the preseason games, I'm really interested in the broadcast teams. Because they're so random, you know, like you did Redskins games with Theismann, you know, and then you might put on, I don't know, I can't think of another one because whatever, but you just guys show up in the most random spots, the most random guys, and I think it's really cool. Tell me a little bit about... Right, the preseason works differently than the regular season, obviously. Right. Um, it's in the preseason, either the teams or or stations in various NFL cities hire announcers to work their preseason packages so for the last eight or nine years i've done the redskins preseason games as you mentioned with joe theisman and we have clinton portis and sherry burris on the sidelines uh previously back in the late 90s i worked one season of st louis rams preseason with kellen winslow senior um was uh hired by the jets to work one season with joe namath on their preseason and then uh, for a number of seasons, worked Philadelphia Eagles games, uh, mostly with Ron Jaworski, but Mike Mayock did a couple of games as well. So 
Um, for me personally, it gave me the opportunity to work with some, uh, you know, former great players, terrific analysts, Hall of Famers. When you look at a Kellen Winslow or a Joe Namath, uh, Ron Jaworski had a terrific career, Mike Mayock, now the general manager out in Oakland, right. and then Joe Theismann. So it, it's been a lot of fun. And from a play-by-play perspective, it really uh, gets you into the rhythm for the season as opposed to, uh, you know, going into the booth week one, and that's the first football game you've worked in eight or nine months. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. If it was, you know, obviously we all love to take a, a gig and get paid, and that's always great, but I was wondering if it was more about getting the, you know, the reflexes going and calling a game. But does it hurt you a little bit that you're not with your partner that you're going to work with on Fox? How do you get that going? Do you guys do a, right, a practice game? Right, that's a great question. Game? I don't think it hurts um, because most most of us don't work with our regular season partners right. in preseason. Um, you know, as far as the reps, it's great. It, it gets you back into the flow as far as the work and the preparation. I think one other thing is, you kind of get used to some of the new rule changes um, mm. each and every year. And, and this year, with such an emphasis on on pass interference, can now be replayed and a number of coaches challenged uh, either pass interference calls or non-pass interference calls. In particular, over the first two weeks, I had the Redskins Cleveland and Redskins Cincinnati the first two, and there were a number of those plays. So for us, it, it, it's definitely beneficial as far as um, going through that process and, and uh, observing the mechanics as far as the coaches challenging some of those plays and, and the officials uh, going to the replay monitor. So I think that's all a part of it. Um, the preparation for preseason, you have even you know almost twice as many players as the regular season. You have 90 players in each roster in preseason. And usually you focus a little bit more on, on your team, the team that, that hires you or, or you know the station that hires you to do their games. Uh, but obviously you're still talking about the opponent as well. And then come the regular season, you're only worrying about 53 players on each side. Um, but as far as your original question, um, Rondé Barber is my partner now for the third year in a row. He actually does the Tampa Bay Buccaneers preseason games with Chris Myers, another Fox uh, play-by-play guy. So um, I had a chance to watch a couple of their games as well, preparing for the Tampa Bay-San Francisco game this week. And flying down to Tampa later tonight, we get started on Sunday. That's awesome. Uh Third year with Rondé, you guys are starting to get a groove, hitting a stride. Uh, twenty years, at, over twenty years of Fox. I think last year we did. Remember, we had you in, and, and we talked about the highlights of the twenty years, the playoff game, Saints, Cardinals. I think was your first playoff game. We talked about all that. What about three years in with Rondé? Do you feel like it's starting to peak? Do you feel like it already peaked? Like, what about? this portion of your career at Fox and how it's kind of building? Well, I, I've really enjoyed working with all of the analysts um, that I've been paired with at Fox. And uh, Rondé's great. Love Rondé. Um, third year coming up with him. Uh, he's a great person, terrific family. And he just works so hard at it. He, he still studies as if he's playing in the game. Um, he'll send later today to myself and the rest of the production crew uh, this 12 to 15 page detailed scouting report. He's been watching film all week. And I've joked the last couple of years that I could do no other work and no other preparation, which certainly isn't the case. But if I, if the only thing I read all week was Rondé's uh, scouting report for our game on Sunday, I could probably do the game and and get through the broadcast. Um, He's obviously a great player. He hopefully will be a hall of famer uh, 
next year, or if not, over the next couple of years. He'll be inducted into the Buccaneers uh, Ring of Honor in two weeks, and we have that game when the Buccaneers host the Giants. Um, had a great 10-year run with Moose Johnston, uh, another close friend who I really enjoyed working with. We had Tony Saragusa with us for eight years and mm-hmm. had the opportunity to work five playoff games uh, during those eight years. And prior to that, uh, whether it was Ron Pitts or Anthony Munoz, Tim Green, Brian Baldinger, all of my full-time partners really enjoyed working with all of them. And uh, you brought up that first year. Yesterday was actually, believe it or not, the 25th anniversary of the first uh, NFL on Fox regular season games. It was 9-4-94, wow. September 4th, 94. I was with Ron Pitts. Uh, we had the L.A. Rams. They were still in L.A. They moved to St. Louis the next year. It was an L.A. Rams-Arizona Cardinals game. Buddy Ryan and Chuck Knox were the head coaches. And hard to believe it was 25 years ago yesterday. Wow, we did that spot where we were talking about your 20 years there five years ago already? I think we did it five years ago, and then we may have done it again last year (laughs) for the 25th. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Man, this stuff just runs together quick. What about Lindsay and her role? How how do you, as a play-by-play man, maximize uh, the contribution of someone down on the sideline down on the field is that something you really lean to the producer to help you with or is there a way whereas you're calling the game where you're like i gotta make sure i do this because i got that asset down there and i want to maximize it how do you how do you kind of get the most out of that right that's another great question and you're referring to Lindsay zarniak who's our sideline reporter this week um, Lindsay and sarah walsh are splitting the season with us so okay. they'll each work uh, seven, eight, nine games, and we had Sarah with us for three or four games last year. Uh, two total pros, both used to work at ESPN, uh, both were in the Washington, D.C. market for a number of years. Lindsay uh, did NASCAR with Fox, uh, both terrific people, and really looking forward to working with, with both Lindsay and Sarah. Lindsay actually worked with us on the Redskins preseason about six or seven years ago, so I've had a little bit of experience with her as well. It's a combination of uh, things that we talk about all week. Uh, we, we begin preparing for the games on Monday, and with our production crew, our producer Barry Landis and director Jeremy Green, we have our associate director Joe Williams, our broadcast associate Jonathan Biles, and uh, we're exchanging ideas throughout the week on, on group emails, on conference calls, and uh, the sideline reporter certainly involved in that, and we've been bouncing some stuff back and forth all week. But then when we get together, uh, we go to the home team practice, and I know we've talked about the routine before but we'll go to the Buccaneers practice tomorrow uh we'll watch practice and then we'll get to sit down with four or five players slash coaches and we'll have dinner tomorrow night as a production group and then Saturday we'll visit with the 49ers uh at their hotel in the afternoon and then we have a production meeting and uh you know it's really like you're studying for a test all week an open book test and then when the game comes on Sunday you probably only use about 10 percent of the information that you have because you want to let the game dictate what you talk about on the air. But as far as the sideline reporters, uh, you know, they'll come up with a number of stories on their own uh, together over the next couple of days when we're with the teams Friday and Saturday. And it's really a team effort. In some cases, the producer uh, might tell us in our ear, hey, let's go down to Lindsay for a report on such and such. But in other cases, if something is happening spontaneously, uh, I might just throw it down to her. Um, we had the eight years, as I mentioned, with Tony Saragusa. That was a bit of a different situation. He was right. a sideline analyst. His mic was open at all times, and he was able to come in and analyze the play. Uh, for the most part, with the sideline reporters, it, it's the producer uh, letting you know when to go down. Uh, and on the rare occasion, like I said, we might do it on our own if something's happening pretty quickly down on the field. We were talking about 
25 years you've been doing this with Fox and you just mentioned preparation and how it starts Monday. And I was curious, how has technology Im- improved uh, and, and maybe made uh, that that schedule maybe a little easier, you know, with FaceTime now and uh, group texts and all the things that have come around in the 21st century? Has the ability of the, the three-man team uh, and then the bigger team as a whole to communicate during the week and to improve the broadcast, has that really been something that has taken leaps and bounds since, like, say, the iPhone or, you know, whatever? Or am I kind of maybe overrating that a little bit? Or how do you see technology's role in improving um, the whole week for a broadcast? Oh, no, absolutely. You're not you're not overrating at all. Uh, from that respect, uh, absolutely. We have, we have texts and emails going back and forth all week amongst our group. And when, when we started with Fox in 94, uh, that was the early stages of the email and the Internet. But I'll, I'll give you a couple of other examples, Steve. Cool. Um, in 94 when I started and probably over the first five to six years, um, Fox would send us VHS tapes, videotapes of each team's previous game. So if I had the Buccaneers and 49ers, they would send last week's games that each team played. They would also send a copy of your own game so you can review your work and, and watch from the previous week. But they would have to make those copies on Monday and send them out on Tuesday, and we wouldn't get them until Wednesday. Uh, now, with, with DirecTV and the NFL Game Pass app, I could, if I wanted to, I could watch those games on Sunday night when I, when I get home. Uh, right. Usually don't start until Monday, but I'll tape games on DirecTV at home. Uh, the NFL Game Pass, uh, it's a great deal for like $99 for the season. Uh, you could basically watch every NFL game, and they're all archived, so you can go back and watch games from three, four, five years ago as well. Um, so that's been a huge benefit. Uh, you can get started really two and a half days earlier than we were able to back in 94 when we had to wait until Wednesday for the VHS tapes. I think around 2000, they, they transferred to DVDs, so they were able to get those out a little bit quicker, but we <laughs> probably didn't get those until Tuesday. And then as far as, as, far as the preparation, uh, back in 94, we were getting articles faxed to us every day over the old-fashioned fax machines. We'd have to buy those rolls of paper, and uh, you know it would take about 20 minutes or a half hour uh, for all of these articles to print out. Now it's one click of a button. They're waiting for you on your email every morning from a service that Fox subscribes to. Uh, the team information, the press releases, the media guides, the statistics. Uh, we still get hard copies, which which I like. I I. I do my preparation uh, combination of, of hard copies and uh, stuff that I get emailed and on the iPad, et cetera. Uh, so we still get the hard copies on Wednesday, but they're able to email a lot of that information on Monday and Tuesday as well. So technology has, has certainly enhanced the preparation and the communication. Like you said, uh, we're communicating all week long. If one of us comes up with an idea, myself, Rondé, Barry, Jeremy, the producer-director, we're we're on a group text chain and uh, we'll get things rolling pretty early in the week. That's amazing. Thanks for that. Uh, take me through a day. Uh, you wake up Sunday. Just take me through from that till kickoff. Um, you know, Sunday's actually somewhat calm leading up to the game because usually you're finished with everything by Saturday night. There's almost a sense of relief Sunday morning. You okay. wake up, you have no more work to do, and and you get to call a game and, and watch an NFL game. There's sort of a a, a calmness to, to Sunday morning, um, especially this week. We have a 425 game, so there'll be a little right. bit of extra time. That's always a bit of a bizarre feeling. There are not too many late games in the Eastern time zone. Uh, 
Right. Uh, normally, if you're on the West Coast, it's a 1 o'clock game Pacific time, but it's 4 Eastern. You don't find too many 4 or 425 Eastern time zone games, and we'll have one of those on Sunday in Tampa. So that's a little bit of a, a different day. Um, but, again, I'll fly in tonight to Tampa. Uh, we're all going to get in a little bit early and get together and watch the Thursday night game tonight with Ronde uh, at a local restaurant. And uh, then tomorrow from about 11 until 2, we'll be at the Buccaneers facility watching practice and doing some off-camera interviews. We'll have dinner tomorrow night. Uh, Saturday, normally we kind of sit around. We have a conference room at the hotel, and, and we'll just – sit around the table doing our own work, but we'll have college football games on the, on the screen and uh, grab some lunch. And the 49ers often travel on Fridays when they play an East Coast team, so we'll actually uh, hit their hotel a little bit earlier than we normally do with the visiting team. I think we're heading over there about one thirty or 2 o'clock, which will give us a little more time for our production meeting Saturday where we go over a lot of the storylines that we've come up with over the week, and we'll look at some of the graphics and the video elements, the production elements, usually get finished about 9, 9.30, uh, grab dinner during the meeting. And like I said, Sunday, uh, I like to be done with everything by Saturday night. So you wake up Sunday, and I'll usually have some of the pregame shows, the morning shows on in the hotel room while I'm getting ready. But in this case, it's a 425 game, so we probably won't even head over to the stadium until about 1 o'clock. You do breakfast at the hotel? Do you eat breakfast? I'm not a big breakfast no. person, uh, believe it or not, but – the Tampa press box, in, in my opinion, is top five in all of sports. Oh, nice. As far as their food spread. <laughs> nice uh, catered. They have all different yeah. kinds of choices. So um, I'll usually grab a, something over at, the, uh, over at the stadium once I get there, especially in Tampa. With the game in Tampa this week, and I don't know, I haven't looked at any forecasts or whatever, as my dog is probably barking at someone jogging for no reason. Um, this time of year when you have a game in Florida – do you prepare something on the side in case this game is going to be delayed due to lightning or rain? I know that will happen a lot in the Florida games around this time of year. Do you kind of let Fox worry about that? Where's your mind at in terms of the weather and how that might affect your assignment that day? Uh, not much as far as uh, anything I prepare. Okay. Um, you know, one thing with regard to this weekend, usually when we work 1 o'clock games, we all – scramble out once the game ends we all have flights around six o'clock but you can't get out of tampa after a after a late game so we're all staying over anyway so no worries about uh getting to the airport on sunday night um i've had some lightning and weather delays in preseason in past years down in florida um if anything does come up this sunday usually the sideline reporter is probably more in tune uh sunday and once the game starts with weather issues and we kind of adapt to whatever happens but haven't really had anything crazy during a football regular season game down in Florida, uh, the one weather game that I really, uh, you know, still have in mind uh, was up in your neck of the woods. I worked with Moose and Goose, a Giants-Bills game, Ooh. back in December 2007. Oh, I remember. hailing and snowing yep. in, the, in the second half, and that was the only time Goose actually came up to the booth. He was getting pelted by hail down <laughs> in the field. He, he worked the second half with us from the broadcast booth, and we all wound up piling into a couple of cars and, driving six hours back to the New York, New Jersey area after the game because all the flights were canceled. Everyone talks about the game a couple years ago the Bills played against the Colts, the snow game that they had here. But I remember when I was a kid and the Bills were on that run, they played the Cardinals in Buffalo, and it was the worst weather I can remember for a game. And I remember Arizona punted, and the ball blew back behind the punter. (laughs) 
Like, I remember the punt going up and then coming back like a boomerang. Uh, well, speaking of Arizona, another weather game that I worked, also with Moose and Goose, uh, the next year, it was Arizona at New England in December. Oh, yeah. And that was their well, undefeated year, right? The Cardinals players uh, the day before, a number of them had never seen snow. Oh, wow. A lot of the Cardinals players that had grown up right. in Florida, California, Arizona, West Coast, for four or five or six of the players, they had never seen snow before. Wow. And they got blown out. I think the final score was 52 or 55 to 7. As it turns out, a month and a half later, Cardinals get to the Super Bowl against the Steelers. So, oh, okay. Uh, you right. just never know, but but I'll, I'll never forget that, that a number of their players had never even seen snow in person. Wow. Uh, the sportscasts are here with our friend Kenny Albert. He's been kind enough to do this show so many times. I email him. He emails me back and says, I can do it this day or that day. It's so great. I appreciate it so much. He's at Kenny Albert on Twitter. He's getting ready for 25 or 26 season on Fox. I absolutely love his call during the NHL playoffs. Uh, he we did the Western Conference Final last year. Love it. Very last thing, Kenny, we'll get you out on this. And I may have asked you this before, but it's a relevant question every year. I remember, like, you know, there was always the joke with Playboy, right? Like, oh, I read it for the articles. And the one article that was always great in it, and they've been nice enough to chronicle them in, like, books, was the interviews. Remember those great interviews they used to do uh, in there? Um and there's a, a nice compilation of like the sports ones they did. And one of the guys is Al Michaels. And he's got a quote in there, which I always think of whenever I watch him, um, where he says that he's still in search of the perfect game, um, that every week he's driven to try to have the perfect broadcast. And he kills himself every time when he makes a mistake, like he'll mispronounce a guy's name or he'll forget a stat he wanted to put in or whatever. And he feels like it's it's always that drive for that perfect game and he's always trying for it and I wonder Kenny what your thoughts are on the perfect game as a play-by-play guy and if you're still grinding and fighting and if that's part of what drives you as it does Al yeah I totally agree with Al you're always striving to be perfect and whether it's a mispronunciation which hopefully hardly ever happens because that's one of my pet peeves or uh, if you give a wrong note or a wrong stat, it, it kills you, and, and you have to move on. You know, you start thinking about it, but you don't want it to affect the rest of the game. Uh, what also bugs me is if, if I read an article about the game the next day and there's some really good note or fact that we didn't have. Um, you know, it probably doesn't happen very often, but right. I can certainly understand Al's feelings because you always want to have that perfect game, and uh, he probably did back in February of 1980 with the uh, – Miracle on Ice call, right. that was what probably call. as close to perfection as you can get, but um, I totally agree. You know, you always want to... I prepare for every game, whether it's a preseason game or the Super Bowl. I worked one world feed, international feed, with Joe Theismann in Indianapolis. Uh, whether it's a preseason game or a regular season game or a Super Bowl, I prepare the same way, and I think most play-by-play guys probably do, but yes, you, you always are striving to have that perfect game, and sometimes when the game ends... Uh, you know, you might feel that you had a couple of moments that that you want back, but normally when you go back and watch it, it was it was it was definitely better than than uh, you thought. You know, especially with with those moments in particular. But um, I, I could definitely see where I was coming from for sure. All right, Kenny Albert again. He's on Twitter at Kenny Albert, and he will be calling San Francisco at Tampa Bay on Fox this week, week one. Kenny, I'm going to be in New Orleans in October sixth, I believe is the date. For New Orleans and Tampa Bay, I don't know. You probably don't have that yet, but 
hopefully you'll be there too. Maybe we can shake hands or something like that uh, if you end up getting that game. But um, thank you so much for doing this. As always, I appreciate you. Well, I'll actually be at MetLife Stadium that day for oh, the Giants and the Vikings. But bummer. have a great trip to New Orleans. Thank and, you. Uh, hopefully I'll see you in Buffalo one of these days. But enjoy the season, and I'm sure we'll chat again soon. Okay, Kenny. Talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, Steve. All right, I'd like to thank Kenny Albert for being on the podcast. Great show today. Thanks to Richard Deitch, Kenny Albert, for doing it. Don't forget you can hear this episode of the podcast and all episodes, almost 300 of them, on our SoundCloud page, which is soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. Okay, so you can find us there. Paul agrees. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Give us a five-star review if it pleases you. Also, you can find me on Twitter at sports underscore casters and email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com. I also wanted to mention a few of my good friends around the internet. Of course, Peter Winson. Greetings from Allentown. His Twitter feed is at Pod. He has a new supersized episode. It's nearly three hours as he talks about the primetime wrestling episode from 1991 which was the Macho Man Randy Savage's Bachelor Party. Uh, Peter and I have a new episode of the Adams Division podcast. You can find that episode on the Place to Be Nation wrestling feed. Uh, Our friends at Place to Be Nation, uh, JT, Justin, and Scott, you can find them on Twitter. They're at place2bnation.com, or excuse me, Twitter, at place2bnation. Their website is placetobenation.com. Uh, look on their wrestling feed. The Adams Division podcast will be there. Hold on. What, Paula? Talk into your microphone. Hold your microphone and talk. Oh, is that how you spell your name? Okay, thank you. All right. Also, I wanted to mention my friend Adrian Dater. His website, coloradohockeynow.com, is the best place for Avalanche content on the website. He's launching a podcast. I'm super excited for my dude. You can find him on Twitter. He's at Adater. And you can also follow his website, which is at colhockeynow. All right. All the plugs are out of the way. The interviews are done. And now it's one last thing. And today, a little less personal than usual. Instead, I wanted to give some predictions for the NFL season. And I'm going to give you division winners, wild cards, a couple awards, the AFC Championship game, NFC Championship game, and the Super Bowl. Paula, why do you keep talking over me? I'm trying to do this here, babe. Talk into your microphone if you want to talk. You don't need to say sorry. You're fine. But when I'm talking, you can't talk. You're talking over me. No one can hear. Don't do that. Why don't you tell everyone what you're doing this week? What are your plans? No, we got to talk into the microphone. All right, she's out. All right.
AFC East. I like the Patriots. I'd love to not like the Patriots, but I don't see anyone else to pick. In the North, I like the Steelers. I couldn't believe they didn't make the playoffs last year. They got AB, who I think has to be nothing but trouble out of there. I think that's going to be addition by subtraction. So I like the Steelers there. In the South, I like the Jaguars to rebound. They got a great defense, and the only thing that held them back was Bortles, and Bortles is gone. Foles, as we know, is quite competent at quarterback. So I like the Jaguars to emerge in the South. The West, I like the Chargers. They were close last year. The Chiefs had a magical year, which I think is going to be hard to repeat. But I'll give the Chargers the division, and I'll still put the Chiefs in as wild card. And also, I'm going to give a wild card to the Colts. I think they're a really strong team. I know luck hurts them, but they love Brissett. They're still... Um, so I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to believe that Brissett is what they say he is, and I'll give the Colts the sixth seed in the East or in the uh, AFC. In the NFC, I like the Cowboys in the East. They're missing peace, return to work finally, and really it's for the better. Uh, Elliot doesn't need training camp, right? He doesn't need those miles that tread on the tire, so to speak. Just isn't necessary. Uh, so I'll go with the Cowboys in the North. I like the Bears. Um, Thought about the uh, Packers there, but I don't trust Aaron Rodgers to stay healthy. Uh, he just He's a little reckless with his body, and uh, it hurt him last year and could hurt him again this year. And I don't like a lot else about their team. I don't know anything about their coach, so I'll go for the Bears as a repeat. In the South, obviously I love the Saints. Uh, I love the Saints a lot this year, as you'll see. And yes, I am a homer. In the West, I'll pick the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, to win that, uh, Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson, great trade uh, to round out that defense, which is going to be really good. They're a scary team out west, tough place to play always. Wild card, I'll put the Eagles in, hopefully for them. Uh, Carson Wentz can stay healthy. And I did slip the Packers in as wild card. Uh, the reasons I didn't like them to win the division, look at if they get 16 games out of Aaron Rodgers, which is a coin flip, uh, I still feel like they're good enough to be the sixth seed at maybe like a nine and seven, battling out with the Panthers and the Falcons. Uh, we'll be right there as well, and the Rams, uh, who I left off because they're cheaters. All right, MVP Drew Brees will finally win the MVP. The Offensive Player of the Year will be Ben Roethlisberger, and the Defensive Player of the Year I will give to Khalil Mack. Uh, who ruins games from the defensive side of the ball. My AFC Championship game, I have the New England Patriots uh, over Phillip Rivers and all of his children. He has many, many children, uh, but that will not help him beat Tom Brady's last hurrah, one more Super Bowl, and then I will pick the Saints over the Bears in the NFC Championship game. And finally, the Super Bowl we've been waiting two years for, three years for, is finally going to align. It will be Brady. It will be Breeze. The Saints and the Patriots. Hall of Famer versus Hall of Famer. Belichick. Peyton. And the Saints will win the Super Bowl. And Drew Breeze will retire off into the sunset. With two rings. One by defeating Manning. One by defeating Brady. <laughs> 